please open your Bibles to John 5, verses 9 through 18. John 5, 9 through 18. If you're using the Pew Bible, you will find the reading at page 890. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, the man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is this man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. May God bless to our understanding this reading from his holy word. Let's pray. Father, we approach you in weakness and ask that you would be our all in all. But as we have opened and read your word, that you would be our teacher, that your spirit would be at work within us. Conform us to your holy word. Work in us that which is well-pleasing in your sight. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the most profound statements that I have ever read outside the Bible comes from the historian Paul Johnson in his book, Modern Times. I think I've mentioned this book at different times over the years. Um, in his very important book on the history of the 20th century, Paul Johnson says, Men are excessively ruthless and cruel, not as a rule of malice, but from outraged righteousness. And he argues quite pers persuasively, I, I believe, that the most brutal, merciless, hateful acts ever committed have not come from bad people determined to act wickedly. Rather, the ruthlessly cruel acts have been committed by people who are so convinced that they are doing the right thing that they feel justified going to any length to make sure that the right thing is done. Paul Johnson goes on to argue that the outraged righteousness of an individual is small potatoes compared to the collective righteousness of a nation or culture. He says, 
How much more is this true of legally constituted states invested with all this seeming moral authority of parliaments and congresses and courts of justice? The destructive capacity of an individual, however vicious, is small. Of the state, however well-intentioned, almost limitless. Expand the state and the destructive capacity uh, necessarily expands to collective righteousness is far more ungovernable than any individual pursuit of revenge. If you are thinking, wow, this describes uh, our age. Uh, well, he wrote this in the 1980s. Uh, I believe this quote perfectly describes the dynamic at work within our passage. Last week we saw how Jesus walked up to a pool named Bethsaida uh, where the blind and the lame and the paralyzed were uh, placed. They were placed beside this pool. There they were. There they stayed. They begged for bread uh, and other food. They begged maybe also for money. The reason they gathered there, or were gathered there, um, is because the pool was superstitiously thought to have healing properties. The idea was that an angel would come down at certain times, it would stir the water, and the first person in the uh, pool would be healed. And as I was uh, mentioning last week, uh, that was a superstitious belief, uh, not any truth in it. And that pool uh, exists to this day. We saw how Jesus chose just one person out of this, this great mass of, um, of disabled people. He chose just one person that we know of uh, in order to heal. And it's surprising that Christ uh, healed this one person, especially in light of the fact that the man who was healed did not have faith. Um, additionally, uh, there's another choice that Jesus made in this he in the healing of this man that we didn't really talk about last week, which I want to talk about this week. I want to bring to our notice uh, this idea that Jesus healed this man on the Sabbath. You know, there were six other days that He could have healed this man. But He specifically, apparently, chose to heal this man on the Sabbath. And not only did He heal him, but He said, and this was scandalous, take up your mat and walk. He had to know Jesus had to know that this was going to provoke the Jews. He had to know that all the Jews would be terribly offended. Of course, Jesus did know that they would be offended. In fact, I believe Jesus purposely provoked the Jews by healing on the Sabbath. We have several instances throughout the New Testament where Jesus healed on the Sabbath. In fact, we even have instances where Jesus, before He uh, performed the healing, would announce that I'm doing this on the Sabbath. He would let everybody know, I intend to heal this person on the Sabbath. A great example of this is in Luke chapter 14, verses 1 through 5. Uh, listen to the Scriptures. One Sabbath, 
When he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then Jesus took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said, He said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? Why would Jesus purposely cause disruption and disagreement? Why would Jesus purposely cause trouble for himself by healing on the Sabbath? Jesus was using uh, healings on the Sabbath to draw attention to God's hot anger toward legalism. What's happening here by healing on the Sabbath is uh, He is drawing attention to the Jews' legalism. See, there's nothing wrong with observing the Sabbath. In fact, it's a commandment that's still in effect. Now, of course, the the commandment to uh, rest on the seventh day has been changed to the first day of the week in observance of uh, our Lord's resurrection from the dead. We call it the Lord's Day. Why do we call it the Lord's Day? Because uh, the Apostle John in uh, Revelation chapter 1 calls it the Lord's Day. We have... Uh, through the Scriptures, uh, certain commandments uh, in the New Testament where Paul says, when you gather to worship on the first day of, w- of the week, set aside uh, your, your, um, your tithes, your offerings uh, to God. And so uh, there were these... There, the, the, the Lord's Day, or rather the Sabbath day, was changed to the first day of the week. The problem was the Jews were trying to observe the Sabbath legalistically. What does that mean? They were trying to observe the Sabbath legalistically. What they would do is they would put boundaries around all the commandments. A hedge, if you will. So you couldn't break the commandment because there were all these other commandments that protected you against breaking the commandment. So, for instance, on the Sabbath day, uh, God said you were not to travel. And so what the Jews decided to do, well, traveling a thousand yards, you know, if you've got to get to the synagogue or whatever, well, you could, you could probably travel a thousand yards and that not be traveling. Anything over a thousand yards, well, that certainly would be traveling. So, uh, but what if you lived a little further away from the synagogue than a thousand yards? What might you do? If you're going to go worship at the synagogue without uh, breaking the, the commandment not to travel on the Sabbath. Well, what they would do was they would take a rope, a rather long rope that would be long enough, they would tie it off at their house, and they would carry it with them up to about a thousand yards away from the synagogue. And so technically, they would say, we're still connected to our home, and so we can get to the synagogue. See, that's legalism. First of all, there's nothing in the Scriptures that limited a person to traveling a thousand yards. But then, this, um, these extra requirements uh, 
would spring up in order to protect themselves from breaking the Sabbath. Or another one. Uh, it was unlawful, not in the Scriptures, but in the Jewish laws that they made up outside the Scriptures, it was unlawful to spit on the ground on the Sabbath day. Now, why would it be unlawful to spit on the ground? Well, you're not to do any work. But what if you spit on the ground? Now, I'm from the South. That would be that would make uh, uh, um, the, the the Jews very frustrated, um, and would be called a, a lawbreaker as being in the South. Uh, I should probably back out of that illustration before I go any further. Um, but. The, what you would do is if you spit on the ground and your shoe accidentally um, uh, stirred up that, that moistened uh, dirt, that could be considered uh, cultivating the ground. Well, anyway, these, these are actual laws. There were many, many laws that they had set up as a hedge around the Sabbath commandment. And um, what ended up happening was they set up a lot of laws that you could obey without your heart being uh, in it at all. All you needed was a little self-discipline, a little social pressure. No obedience from the heart was needed. problem is, as Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, that every commandment has a heart application. And we break these heart um, applications uh, in many, many ways. And so no, no obedience from the heart was needed. And it's almost like the child, it's very much like the child, who uh, the parents sit them in the corner for jumping on the bed, and they're sitting in the corner, and they're still angry at their parents. And even though they are uh, physically sitting with their nose in the corner, in their hearts they're still jumping in the bed. You know, their heart hasn't been changed. Legalism flies in the face of the grace of God. The Scripture teaches that all of us are greater sinners than we'll ever be able to understand. That we, that we need God more than we will ever know. And the grace of God drives us to rely on God rather than on ourselves. All our obedience needs to be empowered by the grace of God. My favorite verse in all the Scriptures, John uh, 15, verse 5, Jesus says, Without Me, you can do nothing. It's very easy to fall into this idea of, without Jesus, I can do some things. Without Jesus, I can do some things pretty well. Jesus says, without Him, we can do nothing. We all believe that Jesus is the source of our justification. That we can't save ourselves. We can't forgive ourselves. We can't do enough righteousness to make God um, pleased with us or forgive us of our sins. 
but it's equally true in regard to our sanctification. We need Christ as much for our sanctification as for our justification. We need God working in us before we can do anything truly pleasing for God. Ephesians uh, 8 and 9, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no man can boast. Verse 10, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, to do the good works which He has prepared in advance for us to do. There is no place for legalism in the Christian's life. It flies in the face of the grace of God. And here's where it's really nasty. Where it really is displeasing to God. Because when we set up these, these lists where we can obey them, we find satisfaction, even pride, in our obedience, in our successful obedience. And then, here's where it really gets even nastier. We begin to look down our noses at other people who are not as successful in their obedience as we have been. And James chapter 2 says that we become judges with evil thoughts in our hearts. Kent Hughes says, the most vicious people in the body of Christ are list makers. List makers. That's that's his word for legalist. We make lists so that we can obey. Uh, So he says, the most vicious people in the body of Christ are list makers who can find no joy in another soul, um, in another soul healed if something in that changed person's life does not measure up um, to their rules. And so, here's Jesus. He meets this man who has been uh, paralyzed, has been lame for 38 years. He is unable to help himself. All he's able to do is lie there and beg. Jesus comes up to this man. He heals him. He says, take up your bed and walk. And this man does exactly that. And the Jews see this man walking home apparently with his mat. Not only probably over a thousand yards, but carrying a mat as he goes. Here's another um, Sabbath uh, law. You are not allowed to carry a handkerchief. You could wear it so that you could get it to the synagogue if you needed it. But for you to carry it, that's doing work. And so here's this man carrying a mat. They find out that he has been healed after 38 years. And they cannot find any joy in that. All they can find is judgment. 
And so they ask him. Uh, in our passage, verse um, verses uh, nine through twelve. At once the man was healed. He took up his bed and walked after Jesus said, Take up your bed and walk. Now that was the Sabbath day. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath and it is not law for you, for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? No joy about this guy being healed. Can you see the perversity of legalism? Not only does it dishonor God and say, well, your work on the cross was not sufficient. I am sufficient. But I'm going to look down my nose at everybody else who doesn't live up to the standards that I am able to live up to. And we judge. And we are unloving. And Jesus has no patience then for this type of legalism. And so that's why Jesus specifically uh, is provoking to the Jews. He wants to have this discussion. He wants them to understand that the grace of God is bigger than uh, any man's ability to obey. And then, if you think Jesus is being provocative there, look at verse 17. When they, they finally catch up with Jesus, and they ask Him, why are you telling this man to take up his bed and walk? In fact, why are you healing on the Sabbath? Look at His answer, verse 17. Jesus answered them, My Father is working until now, and I am working. And the Jews knew exactly what he was saying. Look at verse 18. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. Talk about being provocative. doctrine of the Trinity is very clear throughout the Scriptures. It is not some hidden code that we have to unearth. Jesus is God. He is equal with the Father. What is the doctrine of the Trinity? The doctrine of the Trinity says that there are three persons in the Godhead. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yet there is one God. How are you going to figure that out? Well, there's a whole lot of things about God that we are unable to figure out. In fact, if we were able to figure out everything about God, either God wouldn't be God or we would be God. As my teacher used to say in um, college, um, you can't, you, you cannot fit the infinite God into your pea brain. You try and fit him into your pea brain, and your brain will explode. But he fits very nicely into the heart by faith. Don't make God conform to your rationalistic 
or humanistic thoughts. The Bible says one God, three persons, three distinct persons. That one God, we, we can't figure it out. God's greater than we are. Praise the Lord. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. Just to show you a, another passage that is very clear about uh, the Trinity. Hebrews 1 3. Christ is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Or Colossians chapter 1, verses 15-17. through 17, Christ is the, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Christ is God. Christ is the Creator. Genesis 1.1 In the beginning, God created. Which person of the Godhead? The second person of the Godhead. In the beginning... The Lord Jesus Christ created. Jesus is God. I'm going to bring this to a close with that um, with that statement and make an application. And that is Jesus is God. Have you submitted to Him? Are you submitting to Him? The danger of legalism is that we try and supplant God and replace Him with ourselves. We try and supplant the grace of God and try and supplant His grace with our discipline. We try and supplant God's authority over ourselves and try and subtly replace Him with ourselves and our authority. And we become judges with evil thoughts. And He shows our hearts to be unloving. My question to you is, who is your authority? Is it yourself? Or is it the Lord Jesus Christ? The good news is you don't have to try and be obedient to God yourselves in your own power. Yes, the Bible talks about exerting ourselves. Yes, the Bible talks about working hard. Yes, the Bible talks about self-discipline. But that is God at work in you. Jesus Christ God Almighty, our Creator, came here to earth and loved us so much that He crawled up on that cross and suffered in our place and paid all our sins and not only paid for our sins, 
rose for our justification. But He sent His Spirit here to live in our hearts so that we might obey Him, that we might trust Him, that we might uh, follow Him wholeheartedly, that we might love our neighbor as we love ourselves, that we might die to ourselves. Trust in Him. Do not trust in yourselves. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, even as I preach this sermon, I can think of more ways than I would like to admit that I have acted as a legalist, that I have tried to act in my own strength, in my own wisdom. I thank you that you sent, uh, that, you, that you came and that you were patient and that you paid for all my sins, even all my sins of trying to supplant you. And Father, I know that I am preaching to a people who struggle with the same things, for it is a tendency common to all humanity. And I ask God that you would help us to continually look to the Lord Jesus Christ and not to ourselves. I ask in His name. Amen.